Well, this morning, I want to tell you just very plainly, very clearly, that at Grace Church, we have a vision, and it is not just a statement, but it is truly our vision as a church to reach our generation through personal relationships and strong children and youth ministries. And that is not just something that we say, but it is something that we endeavor to do, that we purpose to do each and every day as a church. To put it simply, it's really about just reaching people. It's about seeing lives changed. You know, when Jesus says to make disciples, well, I'm going to tell you that's changed lives. But it won't happen if we don't reach out to other people. You know, the Lord is really passionate about people. I mean, John 3, 16 tells us God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves us so much. Amen. Well, he really does. He loves us so much that he gave his son Jesus for us. Oh, but we need to get this. He loves the world so much. God so loved the world. All those lost people, all those sinners, yes, God loves all of them so much that he gave his only son. I want to tell you, that's the ultimate act of love. That's the ultimate act of reaching out. He gave his son for us. That we should never forget that he loved us while we were yet sinners, the Bible says. While we were still sinners. Oh, so many people out there, they're still sinners. I want you to know, they need to know what we know. They need to have what we have. And I want to tell you this morning that Jesus has given us His church a mission We call it the Great Commission, but it is that we would go to the world and make disciples. So a lot of people, churches just kind of become a religious exercise, you know, to make them, help them feel better and to help them cope with life. But if we don't fulfill the purpose of our Lord and what he sees the church about, we're just kind of playing church. Church, we need to hear this this morning. We can't allow ourselves to become inwardly focused. See, this is what happens to a lot of churches over time is it becomes more about the members and what we want and what we like and what suits us and less about what he wants. We need to remember that the church is here to reach the world. We got to fulfill the call, the purpose of God for ourselves and for his people, because God is gathering for himself a people for all eternity. That's what's happening during this time. God is bringing together, he's gathering himself a people. He calls it the church, a people that will be his for all eternity. In John 15, 1 and 2, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. You see, church can't just be kind of a a, a club, you know, a spiritual club where we come together and we enjoy. No, that's not what church is about. That kind of church will just fade away. 
It loses all life, and it just dies away. And so it is in our own life sometimes. You see, if we're not involved in what God is doing in the earth today, we just get stagnant and stale. I tell you, we need to be a part of what the Lord is doing. Most of us, I mean, we've been... We've been taught and preached to over and over again. We have so much knowledge, but we're not doing much with it. We need to use what we have to reach the world. I mean, we can come and we get blessed and we got victory and, you know, we want to walk in all God has for us, except for this one area. It seems like a lot of believers are just missing this, to be used of God to help somebody that doesn't know the Lord. Oh, what a blessing. What a wonderful thing. See, the church has never, it's never been about maintenance ministry. It's never been about holding the fort until Jesus comes. It, we should never be content to not be reaching out to the lost. As we are in a war, a war for eternal souls, the church is supposed to be storming the gates of hell. You know why I know that? Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. We're not just hanging on. No, we're moving on. We're moving on pursuing the purpose of God in the earth today. Not just a bless me club. No, we're an army engaged in a battle for the eternal souls of men and women and young people and children. And listen, our Lord, he is passionate about the lost. We should be too. So many in this world trying to live life without the Lord. So many who believe in Jesus, but they've lost their way. And when just one turns to the Lord, there's a party in heaven. Luke 15, 7, Jesus says, I say to you likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Listen, I know that the Lord loves it when we come together, we gather in His name and He shows up. I I know that the Lord loves that as we worship Him. But hear this now. Jesus said there's more joy in heaven when one sinner repents. We, We can cause a party in heaven when we bring somebody to Jesus. We need to hear this, church. That makes heaven excited. There's joy in heaven. And you know what else? When there's changed lives, there's joy in the church. When we are involved in, the, in people's lives being changed, there's joy in that in our own life. Oh, What a wonderful thing that God has called us, that he has made us to be a part of his purpose and his plan and what he's doing in the earth today. We have to be intentional about this. We got to get our eyes off of ourselves. This is so easy in this world just to think about what we want and what we like and what's best for us and me and my four and no more. John 4.35, Jesus says, Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. See, we got to get our eyes just off of ourselves and look at the harvest around us. So many people that need the Lord. 
for they are already white for harvest. He says, don't say still four more months. The harvest is ready. We need to know this. We can't put it off. We can't say another time and not now. No, Jesus says that now is the time. Some people want to say that the harvest is small. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. I tell you, church, the harvest is ready. And we need to be moving and working in what God wants us to do. So many people need the Lord. In the Faith Equation, a book written by Dr. Marvin Bittinger. By the way, this man was the professor of mathematics at Purdue University. He authored over 175 college math textbooks. He said that by the year 2033, every person on the planet capable of understanding the gospel will have been presented the gospel according to modern evangelism trends. He said if things just keep going like they currently are, that by 2033, that's 10 years from now, every person on the planet capable of understanding will have had the opportunity to hear the gospel. That is amazing. And the only thing I'm going to say about that is, church, we can do this. We are doing this. It's happening around the world. We need to realize right here in Burleson, Texas, that God wants to do something here too. Amen. That God is moving and working, and we want to be a part of that. As a church and as individuals, every one of us, we want to be a part of that. They give these figures, and I don't know exactly how accurate all of these figures are today, but he said 34,000 converts every day in South America. 34,000 people are coming to the Lord. He said 28 to 37,000 Chinese are converted to the Lord every day. 23 to 25,000 Africans are converted to the Lord every day. In December 2001, so this has been over 20 years ago, but I want you to hear this. Sheikh Ahmad Katani, a leading Saudi cleric, appeared on live satellite television to confirm that Muslims are turning to Jesus in alarming numbers. Now, I will tell you this, that a lot of people have disputed the numbers that this cleric gave. In fact, most of the ones that dispute the numbers are Christians, which is strange to me. But nonetheless, these are the figures that he gave in this interview. He said, in every hour, 667 Muslims convert to Christianity. Every day, 16,000 Muslims convert to Christianity. Every year, 6 million Muslims convert to Christianity. And yes, the numbers add up that way. Six million every year. The interviewer was just stunned. He said, hold on, let me clarify. Six million Muslims are converting from Islam to Christianity, he said, every year a tragedy has occurred. It's not a tragedy, is it, church? No, when people turn to Jesus, that's not a tragedy. That's a wonderful victory. Their lives are forever changed for eternity. But you need to hear this. You see, nothing can stop the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the gates of hell not Islam, not Judaism, not humanism, not atheism. There's not anything that can stop 
the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus said, I will build my church. It's his church and it's his power that gets it done. He is building his church and nothing and nobody is going to stop Jesus from building his church. And we get to be a part of what he's doing in the earth today. Listen, it is absolutely amazing what is happening in the Muslim community where so many are turning to the Lord. Now, you don't hear about this in the news because they use fear to boost their ratings. In fact, I don't think you hear about this in any of the mainstream news channels. And a lot of people just become fear addicts. In fact, they're fear junkies. They got to watch every day so they can see what they need to be afraid about now. You know, like if they don't know about everything to be afraid of, the whole world will implode. Did you know you can go a month, you can go two months, you can go six months without watching the news? And guess what? You'll survive and everything will still go right on. But we got to have that daily fix of the bad news. They won't tell you about what's happening in the Muslim community. They'll tell you about the Muslim that strapped a bomb on their back and blew themselves up and killed some innocent people. But they won't tell you about the many that are being saved and turning their life to Jesus. It's amazing what is happening in Europe. In Europe for decades, the church has just been in decline year after year because even though they had such a strong Christian heritage, the people of the last generation have just said, you know, we don't need that old religion anymore. We don't need that Jesus stuff. But now, many of those churches are being revitalized. Many of those churches are beginning to grow again. And a big part of their growth has been the influx of Muslim converts to Christianity. It is amazing. But you don't hear about that, do you? Y'all don't get quiet on me. I want to tell you, it's exciting to be a part of the church in this day and this hour that we live in. It is amazing what God is doing around the world. Amen. See, the God of this world, He would have you to believe that the church is weak, that the church is powerless to do anything in the face of all that is wrong with the world. But we need to remember that it's Jesus' church and He's building it. And there are always going to be those who reject Jesus. But he says that the harvest is ready. Lift up your eyes. Realize that now is the time to bring them in. You know, whenever you talk about a harvest and you think about a harvest, I think about farmers. For a farmer, it's all about the harvest. Will they make a profit this year? Depends on the harvest. Will they be able to buy new equipment this year? Well, that depends on the harvest. Will the kids get to go to college? That depends on the harvest. Will we be able to keep the farm another year? That depends on the harvest. A farm can't go very long without a harvest, unless it's a hobby farm. What's a hobby farm? Well, that's where the people make their living another way, and they just kind of farm on the side. You know, it's kind of for fun or maybe to get an ag exemption or just to have a little extra. But if they don't get a harvest, it's okay. They're going to be all right. It's a hobby farm. 
I mean, it'd be nice if they get a harvest, but it's not a necessity. Too many hobby churches. Oh, it'd be nice if some people got saved, had new people in the church, but it's not a necessity. We're all right just like we are. We don't have to have that. I want to tell you, that doesn't please our Lord. That is not what He wants. We're not a hobby church, and none of us wants to be a hobby Christian. We want to be about the Master's business, doing what Jesus wants us to do in this world. When believers are asked, how did you come to know the Lord? Less than 1% say that they came to know the Lord through TV evangelism. Now, if you listen to TV evangelism or Christian TV, you'll get the impression that they are reaching the whole world. Well, let me tell you, they may broadcast the waves all around the world, but the end result is, is that less, less than 1% who come to the Lord came through Christian television. I'm not knocking Christian television. I thank God for Christian television, but we just need to not operate under the deception that, well, you know, they're reaching everybody. I'll just send them a little money let them do all of it. It doesn't work that way because that's not the way God designed it to work. One to two percent of those who come to know the Lord came to know the Lord through cold turkey evangelism. Now I want to just clarify to you that one of the reasons that it's only one to two percent is because there's so few who are willing to do it. But I also want to say to you that whether it's cold turkey evangelism or Christian TV, both of them are reaching people that no one else reaches. It's very vital. It's very important to those that are reached that way. And by the way, Jesus did cold turkey evangelism, and so did the disciples. Okay. Two to four percent come in through some kind of a church program, come to know the Lord. Three to six percent come to know the Lord through Sunday school. Now, those, these statistics are obviously a little dated talking about Sunday school, but I will tell you that God can use a small group to get people born again. Four to six percent just walk in. You know, they drive by and they just came in. I guess, you know, it was just something on the inside that drew them in, but they just walk in and they come to know the Lord. Six to eight percent, a minister talked to them about the Lord. Now get this, 74 percent of those that come to know the Lord came to know the Lord through a friend or a family member. Absolutely amazing. Three-fourths of those who come to know the Lord came to know the Lord through a family member or a friend. Guess what? There are people that each and every one of us can reach and need to reach. We need to realize that it's not just the big shot on TV. No, it is us. And that has always been the plan of God. So the vast majority of those that get born again and stay in church, 
They came to know the Lord through somebody they know, whether it's somebody in their family, at their job, somebody they came in contact with through their kid's baseball team or dance class, or maybe it's somebody they do business with on a regular basis, but it's somebody that they know. And from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he has always relied upon his followers to talk to those that they know. Listen to this from John 1, 40 through 46. It says, one of the two heard John speak and followed him. He was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. Not always that easy, but sometimes it is. And even when it's not, Shouldn't we do our best? Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated as stone. Wow. What an impact that man, Simon, Peter, had on the world. How did he come to know Jesus? He brought him, somebody brought him to Jesus. Let's read on. The following day, Jesus went to Galilee, and he found Philip. He said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Philip tells Nathanael about Jesus. We found the one that Moses wrote about, all the prophets wrote about. What is Nathanael's response? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Starts asking questions. You ever talk to somebody about the Lord and they start asking you a bunch of questions? Well, how did Noah get the dinosaurs on the, on the ark? What is that four horsemen in Revelation? What's that all about? Can you explain that? Why is there so many denominations? What do you do? You do what Philip did. He didn't answer his question. You don't argue with people. You don't have to convince them about everything. You just need to tell them, come and see. Come and see this Savior. Come and see this Jesus. You come and see. You experience Him for yourself. Well, we need to get this, church. It's not hard. We just need... You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to know 40 bazillion Bible verses to be able to help somebody. Sometimes you just need to invite them. Sometimes you just need to tell them, come and see. Just get them to Jesus. Now some won't come. And some won't believe even if they do come. That was true as Jesus walked this earth. Amen? You ever talk to somebody about the Lord and invite them to church and they just weren't interested? What do you do? I went fishing one day in a small pond. And I'm not like a big fisherman. I don't work at it. But I enjoy it just a little bit. And so I went fishing. And I knew that there were fish in this pond. But I cast out about 30 times. And I didn't catch anything. A little frustrating because I know they're in there. Why aren't they responding to my bait? But I didn't quit. I just moved over a little bit to a different spot, and I cast again. 
and something hit my lure hard. I had one on. And I reel him in, I get him into the bank, and I pull him up on the bank, and he's about a three-pound bass. I want you to know that's all kinds of fun. Guess what? I didn't care that I had to cast 30 times before I caught him. Some of you are thinking, 30 times? I've cast 300 times. I'm not that dedicated, believe me. But I didn't care that I cast 30 times and, and then I caught. All that went away. And we need to understand that if we are a part of a life being changed, it doesn't matter how many people told us no before. But the way a lot of people, you know, do ministry, if, if we fished like that, we'd cast once or twice. And if we didn't catch, we'd just quit. Oh, it got really quiet. No, we, we, need to, we need to be determined. Now, after I let that one go, you know, I, I threw my line in again. And after a few more casts, I, I, I caught this fish. And I, t- I could tell he wasn't as big. He was a smaller fish. And he kind of flipped up out of the water and he spit that hook out. The one that got away. Sometimes you invite somebody to church and they come, but they don't stay. The one that got away. Doesn't matter if you're talking about fishing or seeing lives change. Sometimes they get away. Guess what? I didn't quit fishing. I started casting out again, and in a few more minutes, I caught another three-pound bass. I don't know, it might have been the same one, but it was just as fun either way. And after that, I was done. I'd had enough. I had stuff I needed to get on and do, and so that was enough for me. But when it comes to lives being changed... Oh, when you have tasted that, when you've been a part of that, when you've experienced that, it's never enough to just say, oh, I'm done now, just wait for heaven. No, we just want God to use us more and more and more. By the way, if you don't like my fishing illustration, well, Jesus started it, all right? <laughs> Matthew 4, 19, Jesus told the disciples, you know, some of them, they were professional fishermen, and he told them, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. See, for me, fishing is just kind of a fooling around thing. It's a hobby and barely that. So maybe I should just leave the fishing to the professionals. No way. It's too much fun. I enjoy it. Any guys want to say amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to be, you miss a Sunday, I'll be checking your thumb. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The rest, don't worry about it. Oh, my goodness. Now I got minds wandering all over the place. But see, it's really strange how in church a lot of people think they should just leave the ministry to the professionals. And this has become such a thing in our generation where the bigger a church gets, they just pay people to do everything. And you don't have to do nothing. Just send your check in. And all the ministry will be done by professionals. That was never God's plan. We are all part of the body of Christ. Each and every one of us have gifts. Each and every one of us, there are lives that we can touch that nobody else can touch. I'm just telling you, this is the way that church is supposed to be. It's not supposed to just be done by professionals. It's supposed to be done by all of us. That all of us enjoy. All of us get to have the joy of being a part of what God is doing and seeing lives change. When I was pastoring 
In Oklahoma a few years ago, there was a man in my church that uh, was a part-time fishing guide. And man, if you went with him, you were going to catch some fish because he knew where the fish were and he knew what would catch them. And that's fine. And I want you to know that we have a guide. He is the Holy Spirit. And he knows where the fish are and he knows what we need to say. He can give us the right words. He can help us to get it done. We're not just doing this on our own, but the Holy Spirit helps us. And I also want to tell you this. Peter, James, and John, they were professional fishermen, but sometimes they didn't catch fish. In Luke chapter 5, there's a story about how they had fished all night and didn't catch anything. Jesus told them to cast the net on the other side of the boat, and they had a great catch of fish until the net was breaking. Jesus turned them into fishers of men. But did you know there were still times that they didn't catch? Jesus told them, he said, if you go into a town and they don't receive you, just wipe the dust off your feet and go on to the next. You see, a lot of Christians, they get negative. They get resentful because somebody didn't receive their invitation or didn't accept what they were trying to say to them. Don't get resentful. Don't get a negative mindset. Just move on to the next one. Don't allow that to keep you from the work of the Lord. Sometimes we don't catch. We keep on. I want to give you five things that we need to know. First of all, everybody has needs. Everybody. Some of them know it. Some of them are in desperate need. And some of them, they don't really have a clue, but let me tell you, they need the Lord. Everybody you come in contact with has needs. Might be health needs, financial needs. They might have some kind of, a, of an addiction. Some are just searching. I mean, there's a thirst in their soul. Maybe they're looking for real friends. Maybe they got family problems. Maybe they're struggling to raise their children. But everybody has needs. You need to know that always. Next, we need to know that Jesus meets the needs of mankind. I mean, if we have Jesus, we have what we need. And we need to understand this, that everybody has needs and Jesus is the answer. He's the one that can give them peace. He's the one that can satisfy the thirst in their soul. Jesus is the one that can give them joy where they have depression. Jesus is the one who can heal their bodies. Jesus is the one who can set them free. Everybody has needs, and Jesus can meet the needs of man. Third, we need to know that we have been commissioned to tell them about Jesus. Jesus said... You will be my witnesses. You. If you're a follower of Jesus, he says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. This is who we are supposed to be. His witnesses. You know what a witness does? It's pretty simple. They tell what they've seen and heard and experienced. You don't have to know 
400 Bible verses to be a witness. I'm not saying that you don't need to know the scripture. You need to know the scripture, but that's not what being a witness is. You just need to be ready to tell other people what God has done for you. You need to tell other people your story and how God worked in your life. You need to be a witness for the Lord. He's called us. He's commissioned us to do that. Fourth, he's given us the Holy Spirit. You need to know this. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. We're not doing this on our own. No, the greater one lives on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit leads and guides us. He gives us the words. He's the one that causes it to be real and impactful in the lives of those that we talk to. He's the one that does the supernatural part. But we have to be that willing vessel to allow him to work through us. Fifth, you need to know that this is simple. Don't make it complicated. It is a trick of the enemy to make this so complicated and make it seem like it's so hard. Here it is. Come and see. Come and see. I know that life is complicated. I know people are complicated. I know there's situations and circumstances that are complicated, but this is not complicated. We just need to get people to Jesus. Tell them to come and see. And I'm going to say this unashamedly this morning. Invite them to church. This is this attitude. You see, it's it's such a deception in church culture today that even many followers of Jesus think it's not important to go to church. Get them to church. Invite them to church. Because the truth is, they can pray the prayer and never really serve Jesus and become a disciple of Jesus. But you get them in church and they can learn and grow and serve the Lord and be a part of the work of the Lord in the earth today. Invite them to church. Come and see. Let me give you another example. The woman at the well. Jesus talks to this Samaritan woman who had already had five husbands, and now she's living with a man. You know somebody that's trouble? Jesus would have talked to them. Normally the Jews didn't even speak to Samaritans. Jesus would. People you wouldn't even speak to, Jesus would. The Samaritans had this kind of a mixed mongrel religion like a lot of people in America today. And Jesus talked to her. And he talked to her about her personal life. He talked to her about living water that would satisfy her soul. And he talked to her about true worship. Something happened inside this woman She got so excited, she forgot why she had even come to the well. She came there to draw water. I mean, it's like she went to the grocery store and had a conversation with one of you, and she just left her groceries. Here it is in John 4, 28 and 29. The woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come 
see a man who told me all the things I ever did. She just said, come see. She, she told them what she had heard, what she had experienced. She said, come and see. Has the Lord done anything for you? Has He saved you from your sins? Have you been forgiven? Has He lifted the guilt off of you? Has He taken your stress and fears away and given you peace? Has the Lord replaced your sorrow with joy? Has the Lord healed your body? I'm telling you, God has done something for each and every single one of us. We need to tell other people and we need to tell them, come and see. How is it we think nobody would want what we have? Oh, yes, they do. Come and see. In verse 39, it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all I ever did. It's amazing to me. I mean, this woman has had five husbands. Now she's living with a man. I mean, that's got to be some questionable character. Something's going on here. But everybody believed the word of this woman. It was so strong. It was so powerful. They could see that something real had happened in her. And all she said to them was, come and see. And there were many of them that believed. Come see. She invited people to come see Jesus. She didn't invite him to church. She invited him to come see Jesus. I mean, Philip, he didn't invite anybody to church. He invited them, come and see. Come and see Jesus. I am absolutely 100% convinced. I believe with all of my heart, Matthew 18 and 20, when my Savior said, where two or three gather together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. My Savior is not dead in a tomb. He is alive and well. He is a risen Lord and His body... His living body is the church in the earth today. Jesus is alive and well in His body, His people. And when we gather in His name, not when we gather to play church, when we gather in the name of Jesus, He shows up. And I believe that Jesus is here. I believe that next Sunday Jesus is going to show up when we gather in His name. I'm expecting His presence. I'm expecting life-changing power in this place that people will come and see. They'll experience a risen Lord and they won't ever be the same again. Listen, Jesus is just as real as if you saw him down here in a physical body. He is throughout the earth moving and working through his people. Oh, church, we need to tell them, come and see. Come and see. Because our Savior is real. Invite people this week. Pray for them and expect their life to be changed. See, let's don't make this so complicated and so hard that we just can't do it. No, that's not right. We can 
You know, I talked about the harvest earlier, and I want to say there's nothing wrong with the harvest. Jesus says the harvest is ready. He said the problem is there's so few workers. In Matthew 9, 37 and 38, he said the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So, you see, we need the Lord's help because the harvest is so great. How do we get the Lord's help? Same way we get the Lord's help with anything, we pray. And how did he tell us to pray? He said to pray the Lord of the harvest would send laborers to the field. Here's how a lot of Christians want to do it. Lord, just bring them in. Amen. Lord, go get them in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, get them. Amen. You don't pray that God will do your job. You don't ask God to do the part you can do. He does the miraculous part. We plant, we water, the Bible says, and God gives the increase. He'll do His part. But we got to pray that the Lord will send laborers into the field. Lord, send someone besides me. I was, I was hoping that y'all would laugh at that. <laughs> or is it just too sad? Send someone, Lord, besides me. You see, I'm convinced that Jesus had them pray that, not only because that is the answer to pray, but also because he knew that something would happen inside them. Because in Matthew chapter 9, he said, Pray the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into the field. And then Matthew chapter 10, he sends those very men out. And they went. But you see, prayer not only brings God's power into our world, prayer also changes us. You see, if you are angry at the lost or if you just don't have a love for the lost and a passion, a compassion for the lost, pray for them and God will change you. If it just seems like it's too hard that you just can't do it, you pray that the Lord of the harvest and labors in the field. You'll be surprised what God can do in your heart, but you pray. I tell you, God wants to use us and that's a wonderful thing to be a part of what God is doing. We don't do it so that our church will be bigger. We don't do it to try to alleviate our guilt because, well, you know, we're supposed to. And I hope nobody's getting under a guilt trip this morning. I hope that instead you're getting inspired to want to reach out to somebody We do it to see lives changed. When you cross paths with people with needs, people that are struggling, problems with their kids, problems with their health, problems with their marriage, whatever it might be, invite them. Tell them, come. Invite Christians who have drifted away. Invite lukewarm believers. Invite the prodigal that's running from God. 
Invite the one that's got some all mixed up religion. Invite the cynic. Invite the sinners. I'm so glad that somebody invited me to church. When I was 17 years old, I had prayed the prayer. But I didn't really have much of a relationship with the Lord. And I was heading in the wrong direction. I was beginning to drink a lot. And at school one day, I'm in the hall. And somebody says to me, I want you to come to my church. I said, okay. And here I am 45 years later. I consider myself to be so blessed to pastor such a great church with such wonderful people. And somehow by the grace of God, I've been able, been allowed to be a part of God changing other lives. I told Carmen one day, we were talking, and I said, I'm so glad they invited me to church. And she said, me too. You see, you just don't know whose life might be changed for eternity. But also, how that might impact their family. And what other people lives are going to be changed because you invited somebody to church. Come and see this Savior. He's amazing. He's wonderful. He is all and all and everything. Come and see. Stand with me. We're going to pray. I'd like for our prayer partners to come.